Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All righty, so we are trekking through the Apostles' Creed. Um, one of you brothers want to read that for us on the air so we can catch our listeners up to what the Apostles' Creed is if they're tuning in for the first time? Sure. Here's... Uh Here's one version. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we have a huge day today because we have to pack in the entire doctrine of the second coming and the entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit in 12 minutes. Can we do that? (laughs) We better start. What are we going to do with our extra time? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the line, um, the line that we're going to deal with first is this, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. From there, um, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. What, what does this phrase mean? What are the implications of it? Well, first of all, from thence, uh, you know, let's answer that question and remember that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's where he will come from. Uh, and uh, I just want to stop right there and contemplate that, that the work of Christ, what the, what the Creed is affirming is, once again, what the Scripture affirms, that Christ's mission is not complete. He's going to come again mm-hmm. to, to finish the work that he's begun. Uh, to finish the work of redemption once and for all. And uh, that's the, the hope that we have in Christ, is that he will come. What Phil is talking about, um, for me, was one of the most profound things that I realized when I was in seminary. At the end of Hebrews 11, it's talking about all these people living by faith, and, and it says, and all these, though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised and you're like what that's that's terrible and it says since god has provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect that jesus christ is coming again and the the teaching of of the scripture is that jesus christ will not have his church in parts that he'll have his church altogether come to him mm-hmm that there'll be one time when he draws his people in their entirety to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's at the second coming um, when he will judge the living and the dead. Right. And so we say, 
what happens is we die right now and our spirits end up in heaven or hell. But there comes a judgment where when Jesus Christ comes in his second coming, body and soul will be reunited. And that's when he brings all of his church into his presence as, as their whole being. This is what Second Corinthians is talking about, that, that there's this longing for the redemption of the body. And right now, even those saints that are in heaven are only there in their spirit. They're longing for the day when they'll be whole, and that cannot be apart from the whole entire church, mm-hmm. the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it speaks of ultimate judgment, too. Um, the things are not just going to continue as they are forever and ever. And this is what Second uh, Peter chapter 3 points out. If you actually want to look at something about the, this coming day, you're going to look at Second Peter chapter 3. And we do know that there are those that will scoff in these last days saying, where is this promise of his coming? It's coming, and the assurance of his ascension, you know, we, we see it in Acts, the same Jesus who departed in this manner is going to come back in the same way you saw him go. He's going to come, he's going to return, he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Mm. Yeah. You know, and this, this doctrine of the second coming is one of the most emphasized doctrine in the entire scripture. Someone did math one time and said for every verse that speaks about Jesus' first, first coming, there are eight verses that speak about his second coming. And, and the question is, is why? Well, because it's the consummation of all history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's also to keep us alert. You know, when, when Jesus taught about his second coming, one of the phrases he used over and over again was stay awake, stay alert. Um, and he said it will be, in, in other words, um, keep, your, keep your eyes open, keep on spiritual tiptoe, knowing that the world doesn't just go on and on and on as it always has. Remember another phrase Jesus used, he, say, he said it will be as in the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. People will be eating and drinking and, and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they're going on with their lives as if we're always guaranteed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news, and it's, it is good news, this broken world doesn't go on broken forever. Yeah. This lost world doesn't go on lost forever. Jesus, Jesus will come again to judge the world in righteousness. What good news. Um, he's going to finish what he started. In, this, in, this, um, in the Heidelberg, as it is explaining the Apostles' Creed, it says, How does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort me? And the answer is, in all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Mm. That's so good. That's why I love Heidelberg. <laughs> yeah. You know, even, even in this point of the judgment here, he, you know, I'm being asked, how does this comfort me? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> because in the end, you know, ultimately we want justice. You know, uh, we want we we want justice, but we need the mercy and grace of God. Yeah. And so, we're being told He's already taken that 
justice upon himself yeah. in his death and death burial um, and now we experience that mercy and grace of God and this comforts me but I also know that that he is not going to wink at sin yeah. either he's going to suffer for it or th- those that reject him will suffer for it yeah mm-hmm. real quick um that is actually going to be one of the sessions at our upcoming conference here in 2019. Our the promise of the future. The promise of the future, yeah. So our theme this year is In Christ Alone, and the fourth session is going to deal with uh, the second coming. Uh, Cornelius Venema put out a really good book called Christ and the Future. If you want to have um, a really Christ-centered book on eschatology, I just put my own little pet peeve in here real quick. There are all sorts of books out there right now that talk about eschatology that have nothing to do with Christ. Eschatology, the, the end. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Thank you. They have they have you chasing a whole bunch of other things, trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist and foolish things like that. Uh, but a Christ-centered view of of the end times, Christ in the future by Cornelius Venema. Okay. So, second question, since we have so much time left. Um, is this, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's how the Apostles' Creed enters into its last phase of the confession, which is I believe in the Holy Spirit. Just a reminder that uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are all eternal God. Um, you know, and then he also is, the Holy Spirit is the way I am assured of Christ and his benefits. Um, we have been, you know, in our salvation, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been, we are reminded of the promises of God through the Holy Spirit. And when you're breaking down the distinction of the, the Apostles' Creed, you've got the, the Father as creator, you've got the Son as redeemer, and you really have the, the Spirit as the one who is the Spirit of Christ that is working out ongoing the work He's applying that, the benefits of Christ to correct. us. That's you know, correct. The forgiveness of sins, the fellowship that we have. This, our sanctification, our really our communion that we have not only with Christ then but with each other. So the work mm-hmm. of, of Christ in and through his church, which is through the word and spirit. So I, I you have to start with where Jonathan began that the spirit is eternal God. That he is 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 doing the work um, that really began with the Father and the Son. Yeah, and that's I love how the creed you know puts this very explicit. If you're paying attention to the order, it always deals with the person of God first, and then the works of God second. Mm-hmm. And that order is that's the difference. You you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that's the difference between a God-centered view of the world and a man-centered view of the world. We right. start with the person of God, and then we go to the works of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, yes. his work. Yes. I believe in, in Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, his only begotten Son. Son. Yeah. And then it goes on to explain what he's done. Yeah, and this is how the, the, the Apostles' Creed is ending. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Pause. He's he's gathered a a, a, a holy Catholic Church, a universal Church. Mm-hmm. We have commun- the communion of saints together. We have the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. These are the things that are affirmed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's right. Yeah, and the, the creed is also affirming. Although it's you know the the creed is very the Apostles' Creed is very spare at this point, mm-hmm. um, and and reticent perhaps to describe the the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I think we, we probably want to fill in the blanks a little bit there. 
But the whole, first of all, the Holy Spirit is not uh, just some kind of a impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a he. Not in the sense that the Holy Spirit is male or, or female, for that matter. Um, but personal. But personal, absolutely. And uh, that the Holy Spirit is, as another uh, one of the Presbyterian creed says, the Lord, the giver of life. Right. That, that the Holy Spirit is fully God, that the Holy Spirit is a, is a full member of, of the Trinity and the, the mystery of the unity of the, of the Trinity. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is the one who applies to us the work of Christ, who leads us to Christ, who, who kindles life in us, who, who regenerates us uh, to come to Christ. Um, and and the, the creed is affirming uh, that the Holy Spirit is fully active in the work of redemption and the work of our salvation. Maybe just a plug here, too. Um, maybe lovingly go to your pastor or your elder and and request that at some point he teaches a sermon on the Trinity. That would actually be pretty profound. I mean, if these are the foundational mm-hmm. truths of our faith, I mean, how often do our churches actually preach on the doctrine of the Trinity in, in over the course of a year? And yet it's everywhere in the Bible. It's one of those things that we always assume but never teach on, right? Yes, yes. I remember, you know, speaking of that, I, I recall in my very first church, um, you know, speaking about the deity of Christ and uh, a lady who professed to be a believer for many, many years said, that's the first time I ever realized that Jesus was divine. And, and, and I had no words. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you attend a church for years and never know that. Well, I think one of the assumptions is, oh, we don't need to know that stuff. We're already Christians. I right. recently taught on the person of the Holy Spirit, put him in the in the context of the Trinity, and taught for at least 20 minutes, and, and people came away saying, man, that was a really helpful sermon. Thank you yes. so much for doing that. And it was just standard Christianity 101, yeah. right? Well, and we're also in a context, we have a lot of uh, uh, LDS, Mormon neighbors, friends, uh, perhaps family members, who who really reject the doctrine of the Trinity, or at least as as it's known in in Christianity, and so we need to teach it, brothers, yeah. and teach it over and over. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.